Episode 31, Haunted Houses, or houses that are actually haunted and then haunted house attractions. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's kind of a, a lot there. It's a lot, and it was so hard to research because I would think I found, like, a really good story, and then it turned out it just happened in a house that was haunted. It was not a haunted house attraction. Right. So... And yeah, I can, I can certainly understand that. I, I have, I mean, I've also looked a lot of these things up over the years. So I've just have some of that back, like backlogged in my brain. But I wonder if, if we looked at like Halloween attractions, I don't know. Well, too late Maybe now we're recording. Made... You're right. <laughs> this is happening now. And I've committed. Speaking of happening now, I am going to have a personal moment. Oh my God, Do yes. you ever find right before you start recording? Your period? That, oh. Yes, that's when my period starts. <laughs> it's a weekly occurrence too. So not only is it disturbing that it's that I'm a man and I'm having it, but every week, right as I hit record, it's like, there you go. Do you have to pee? My, or what? My, no, I just, I need to burp every time before oh. I record. I think it's, I do that when I film stuff, too, um, for people that want a little bit of behind the magic, behind the curtains of Aaron Sager's TV personality. <gasps> yeah, so a lot of times before, I, I, I need to burp. I only burp when I'm, like, really anxious, and then I burp constantly. Mm-hmm. It's not flattering. You, you don't have nervous pee? No, I burp. It's so gross. <laughs> I have, I don't have nervous pee, but I do pee before, like, especially before I do an onstage thing where I'm going to be yeah. trapped in front of a live audience or whatever for an hour or more. Then I have to pee multiple times because there was one time. Oh my God. I, I don't you... know if I took, I did not pee my pants. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but there was one time I had like a two hour long panel on stage and like midway through the, I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but. I had to pee so bad that I was like thinking I'm not going to make it. Uh, and it was, I, and I'm not even going to say who I was on stage with, but it was, 
two very, maybe three, two very highly high-profile people. Oh shoot! And it was people I was very excited to be interviewing. But after the panel, normally, you know, you chit chat. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, that was nice. Good seeing you again. You well, like, we can work together again. Bye. I was just like. Peace out. <laughs> Literally, peas pee out. And um, so, anyhow, I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Nightmarica, where we talk about spooky stuff. And joined by uh, Brett Emmy. That's me. Our co-host. My, my, uh, not ours, but my. I am my, the group's collective co-host. I don't know who else is, except maybe the ghost that's in my room. I know, we you guys missed about. it before we started recording. Aaron was having yeah. this weird moment with a mirror, and we think he has a ghost. I Well, I did not say that. It was a weird it. moment with the mirror, but I don't jump the ghost. But, you know, mirrors are, in many, many stories, they are the gateway. They so. are. Do you, have, um, do you have a mirror in your place, like facing your bed or anything? Uh, no, for our listeners who don't know, I live in a shoebox. Um, I have a tiny bath, uh, tiny bathroom, but also a tiny mirror over my sink, and that's it. Yeah. Would you sleep across from a mirror? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Yeah. You know the original Amityville? There's that scene where, like, their whole bedroom is mirrored. Oh, right. That cracks me yeah, up. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's very, very 70s, I guess. Well, the topic we're going to get into are haunted house attractions that have real hauntings behind them. But before we get into that, how about some news of the weird? And I I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do. So this is a a crapshoot because we might have the same story. We might have the same story, and it's highly possible this episode we do. Um, And I don't know if my story is weird or sad or scary, but do you know there have been three shootings at haunted houses this past month? I did... I did know that. I did look that up, and that's why I didn't do those stories, because I'm like, of course Britt's going to go for the... <laughs> True crime. That. Yeah, so lay it on me. Yeah, Let's Saturday... Sep- start on the high note I will. on this episode. <laughs> Saturday, September 26th, shots were fired at Reaper's Realm in China Grove in North Carolina, where a thousand people were waiting to enter. That feels like a lot to me pre-COVID. In this post-COVID yeah. world, that feels like a lot. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Five I agree. juveniles were taken away. Um, they were the shooters. And then in Kansas City... Allegedly. Allegedly. They weren't arrested yet, but they were taken and then they had the guns. Um, Kansas City, there's a place called the Edge of Hell Haunted House. People, mm-hmm. and most of these stories are because people are waiting a long time in line outside because of COVID restrictions. But two people were injured. They weren't, it wasn't life threatening. But then the last one, September 27th, a Sunday, a 29 year old man from Detroit was shot and killed in the parking lot of the, is it Erebus? Is that like one of the demon names? Um, that sounds about right. Let's just go ahead and say yes. Okay. I don't know. Witnesses say he... I don't know all the demon names, well, but... You should. This is your job. <laughs> I'm not... You're right. I know all the, all the demon names. Um, witnesses say he cut in line 
and the suspected yeah. shooter got in a fight with him over it, and they both walked off. He ended up getting shot three times in the parking lot, and the suspected shooter has not yet been caught. Yeah, I saw that. That's sad. That is, it is, and it's people just going crazy. Yeah. I, I don't know. Tensions are, maybe people are always like this, because in those those moments where just energy is building up, it's just like a, you know, a little, it's waiting for that, the bubble to burst. And, but I do especially think right now we're in some weird times. People are just in a constant state of anxiety and tension. Yeah. But yeah, I saw that. I, I did see that news article and that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> but I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, Slightly different but related one. This comes out of 12 News in Michigan. And the story itself is from Holly, Michigan. And it's just about... The, the headline is Haunted Holly Haunted Houses Ready for Spooky Season with New Safe Practices. Now, this is Holly, Michigan, but this applies to a lot of places. Now, this is focused on Rotten Manor, and they are ready to spook guests this year. But they're going to do it in a safe way, a safe scare. And... They, and and look, I, I get it. It's a really tough time because businesses, especially like seasonal businesses like Halloween, haunted houses, if they don't open, they're really screwed for the next year. Mm-hmm. So the way that they're doing things are additions like hand sanitizer stations, okay. Also plexiglass, which is actually really effective mm-hmm. because, you know, the actors, the scare actors can just jump out and mm-hmm. and ram themselves against that plexiglass. They're going to use some um, bullhorns and masks are required to be worn indoors and the actors are going to be wearing masks as well, which works. Makes sense for a haunted house, you know, you can get a yeah. scary looking actor in a mask. And what I like about this is that look, if you get some of these obstinate people, people that are defiant refusing to wear masks and the face masks are offered to anyone at the door but if you don't put your mask on or you take it off a actor can come out of character and call security and have you escorted out That's we right. are pro masks totally pro masks and they're going to be doing temperature checks as well and splitting people into smaller groups. Now, you have to imagine in the COVID-19 era, we, we do learn a lot about singing and things like that really spread the mm-hmm. virus and those droplets further. So I imagine screaming is For part sure. of that too. So having smaller groups, having things spread out a little bit more, hopefully will reduce that that risk. So I'm... And I think that this this rotten manner, I think what they're doing can be applied to a lot of other places. So I'm just found that to be a little bit interesting. I'm I'm yeah. very curious to see how Halloween works this year. I know, I'm so, so. curious. Are you going are you gonna, to go to a haunted house? I was gonna ask you, are you trick or treating? I I will not go to a haunted house. I know that I have and I'll I'll talk about this more probably next week. I do have a talk in public on October 30th. Mm. Well, I'll just say it. I'm, I'm going to be giving a talk in Key West, Florida on October 30th. So it's going to be a, a spooky talk, but it's not a haunted house situation. And I'm not going to go to a haunted house attraction this year, though. But there, I might have some other things up my sleeve. Yeah. Are you going to trick or treat? 
Not going to trick or treat. I have a friend that lives upstate New York who is having like a small little get together with just like a core group of people um, dressing up and she has like a backyard with like a fire pit, I think. So we're just going to go and do that, which will be nice, just small. Um, but I think we're going to go as Danny Torrance and Rose the Hat from Dr. Slate, which I'm so excited about. I think she's like the most beautiful actress ever. You're early in your relationship and you're already (laughs) doing a joint costume. I told him what we would be going as. (laughs) Oh, that's... That does not sound like you at all, Britt. (laughs) I'm the boss sauce. I no no I should not have any comment on these things. <laughs> no, it sounds like me. I'm fine with that. I'm an Enneagram eight. It's my jam. I I probably won't be dressing up outside of maybe some tiki wear. I always have some good spooky tiki outfits, and I'll be probably dressing up like that. But yeah, so not a costume. I, uh, no, <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned last year I was in New Orleans. For Halloween and had big plans that night again not a costume but I had an outfit and I could not use it because it ended up getting so cold in oh. New Orleans that I rather than having a cool suit and outfit that I was going to wear ended up bulking up with like multiple sweaters or sweatshirts and my leather jacket so yeah that's the so worst maybe I'll try this here. like growing up yeah. in the Midwest no one ever saw your costume oh yeah so. yeah I uh uh, have you had like a I don't know we're we're droning on about this and not getting the topic but I'm gonna bring it up anyhow worst trick or treating experience you've ever had lay it on me um or or worst costume or whatever because I think I got a doozy for you you're gonna probably beat me because I've not really had a bad trick or treating experience growing up in Paris you would have um, because the French at least when I was there the French don't trick or treat. So my school would post where Americans live. And so you wouldn't go up really and ring their doorbell. You would like, they would be like sitting outside or like in the lobby waiting to hand you candy. It's like a very weird experience because the French don't trick or treat. Um, What's it? What's, what would it even be? Like bonbon? Bonbon? I don't know. I can't. (laughs) I don't, I don't know what they would say. Doesn't bonbon mean? Candy. Yeah, treat. How do you say or? Uh, uh, bonbon ou terreur. I don't know. Or terror? Yeah. Treat or terror? Yeah. I, I'd like that. Treat or terror. Anyhow, so tell me on. what's. No, I mean, that's it. What's yours? You're going to no. win. Uh, it's not even all that exciting. I, I'm sure there's worse ones, but the ones that stick out of my mind is when I was a little kid, there was an encephalitis scare in Central Florida. And there were some alarmist people, and maybe not alarmist, I don't know, but I felt like it was alarmist, that they were scheduling trick-or-treating during the day on, like, a random Saturday, which was not actually trick-or-treat night, not on the 31st. I find, I hear that this is more of a thing these days, that, that sometimes they do trick-or-treating on a random weekday or weeknight now. But anyhow, it was not... A pattern when I was a kid so someone some city official or whatever parents got in their head that they were going to be doing this at a random Saturday or whatever 
in an afternoon to avoid an encephalitis scare from the mosquitoes. So my mom sends me out in my costume. I was dressed as Frankenstein's monster and has me go trick-or-treating in the middle of the day. No one else was fucking trick-or-treating, let me tell you, in the middle of the day. So, and, and the severity of this memory is such, the trauma is that I'm swearing, which I don't I, do I a whole lot say, on this, this show. I was just going to say, this is firing you up because you never swear. And the, yeah, so I'm walking around the neighborhood, knocking on random people's doors, being like, hey, uh, a trick-or-treat. They're like, what? It's not even the 31st, and it's <laughs> the middle of the day. I'm like, yeah, so I had every every house. Like, yeah, so my mom said that uh, this is the day, encephalitis, like, the... And by, like, probably the fourth house of, like, people being perplexed, I'm just like, look, what do you want me to do? This is just, this is what I'm dealing with. Were you completely by yourself? Your parents didn't go with you? It was, well, yeah, no, they didn't. I mean, it was probably like three in the afternoon. I don't know. I wasn't, I was probably too old to be trick or treating at that point, but, you know, I still was trick or treating. It was not like I was, I wasn't like 19 years old. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I was 10. I don't know. Ten Maybe is still, bit. I don't know. I mean, my mother well, doesn't leave me alone now. Well, clearly my parents were horrible because my mom <laughs> sent me out in the middle of the day on a Saturday that was not October 31st to trick or treat. I do recall that some people really gave it, you gave, put some effort into it. They're like, uh, let me see what I have in the kitchen. <laughs> so I made out with some good candy bars, I guess, but it was overall humiliating. It was... I would say that Frankenstein's monster was tormented by villagers, and I felt tormented by my neighborhood and by my mom in Central Florida. So, so maybe I felt the monster. I really related to him. Shoot, this just got heavy. Yeah, yeah. So that was not a that was not a good one. No. It was and it was hot. It was hot in the middle of the day. Anyhow, hey, how about we dive into our first story about haunted house attractions that are haunted houses why don't you go so i am going to be talking about the most extreme one of the most extreme haunted houses the mckamey manor have you heard of it i have heard of it it's insane and i have to say like i after all this research off the horrible videos that i have watched this week i'm not sure if this is actually a haunted house or a torture chamber (laughs) <laughs> uh, a legally operational torture it chamber. is so if you're the type of person where haunted houses you know aren't enough for you and you need the adrenaline you could make your way down to summertown tennessee and try the mckamey manor uh first you have to start by having a physical because you have to make sure you don't have a heart condition pregnancy seizures etc um And then the day of, you have to go and sign a 40-page waiver. Okay, are you ready? This waiver says things like you might get your teeth pulled out or you might have to pull your teeth out yourself. You might get your fingernails removed and you might get tattooed. Okay. Sounds like a fun time. You're down? Yeah. From there, you have to prove that you have medical insurance. In case you get injured, you have to pass a background check. 
you have to do a FaceTime interview with Russ, the owner, uh, where he kind of makes sure you're psychologically okay to do this and then also ask you, like, what specifically scares you the most. Um, and then the day of, you have to pass a drug test. So you can't have, like, any drugs in your system as you go through this. On the website, they call themselves Survivor Horror and encourage you not to wear expensive clothes as you can get wet and actors will absolutely come in contact with you. So based off that, are you going to do it? I mean, keep going. I know there's more to come. <laughs> oh, yes. So the haunt can last from 3 to 10 hours, and it's recommended that you do it by yourself, but they can make an exception for two people to do it together. Um, they warn you ahead of time that you can be kicked out by touching the people running it, or if you bring weapons or on drugs, um, or if you swear. So I'm out based on that alone. Yeah, that, that's definitely, that, that's like kind of a, a cheat right there, I think. Yeah. Like if someone scares me, I'm going to drop an F-bomb. I drop an F-bomb for anything. Um, the house is run by Russ McCamey, a 23-year Navy veteran, and he runs it out of his backyard. Uh, HorrorBuzz.com describes his quote-unquote haunted house as saw-like torture porn, which feels pretty spot on. Um, so why would anyone want to do this? Because if you can survive, you win $20,000. Um, but no one has ever finished it. He runs it with his life partner, Carol, although I'm not completely sure that they are still together. Um, and they apparently have a 24,000 person wait list. First, they had it in their backyard in San Diego and they show it in one of these documentaries that I watch called Haunters. It's on Amazon Prime. The, it's, like, directly next to each other. Like, house, his house, another house. Like, all right lined up. And he was running this out of their house and backyard. Um, so the neighbors, like, immediately next to him, they show in this interview, like, kind of act like, oh, you know, it, it's annoying, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Well, that's back when it was just a mom and pop kind of typical haunted house in San Diego. But Russ started just making it more and more extreme. He says that he just tries to make it as scary for him as possible, that he would never do it. Um, and so he ended up moving to Tennessee so he could take up more land and have a barn where he could run this out of. Um, in the documentary, Carol, who was his life partner at the time, I've been doing research and still can't figure out if they're together or not, but she talks about disagreeing with a lot of his ideas. Prepping for this story, I watched Dark Tourist, which I know I've mentioned on this podcast before. Um, David Ferrier, the host, who is also so handsome, um, goes to Tennessee, where he is now, to interview Russ and give a try for this himself. Uh, they start by the waiver ceremony, and they have to call the police to notify them that they have something going on tonight. Um, and that if they get calls from neighbors, not to worry because it's not actually an abduction or torture. It's like he's signing up for it, which is insane. The waiver reading with David Ferrier takes five hours, which 
is insane. It's like a light out when he starts, and then it's like nighttime when they finish. But I have to think that that's like part of his mojo to like break you down into a weak state. Don't you think? Well, yeah. So when I hear about the waiver, it makes me to makes me think of the old 1950s gimmicks in movie theaters where you had to sign a waiver because it was so scary. A movie you were going to see was so scary that you had to be, you had to sign a waiver to get in. But yeah, there are movies where you would have to sign a waiver and it was that, that creates that psychological anticipation or even hot sauces. There are some hot sauces that are so Mm. strong that you have to sign a waiver to taste them or Let's bring it down to the tiki bar level. The zombie is a drink that was considered so potent and powerful that at tiki bars, you were only allowed to order two and you'd be denied if you tried to order a three, which kind of lays down this gauntlet, you know? So I think, I think part of that must be a marketing ploy, Yeah. but unless it's not, I don't know what, keep going. What else can we learn about? So after they do this five-hour ceremony, he then duct tapes over their faces. Like, he puts duct tape on top of his eyes so he can't see. And then he puts one of those plastic things in their mouth like you have at the dentist that force your lips to be open all the time. And so, like, you're drooling all over the place. And I'm so sad that this isn't a visual medium so you guys can't see the face that I'm making at Aaron right now. Yeah, you're really missing out, guys. (laughs) Um... And then he puts them in a straight jacket. So, like, sensory deprivation is intense at this moment. And Russ starts verbally assaulting David. Slaps him. He's, like, shouting, like, say you're a little baby. Tell people you're a little baby. And just, like, these creepy things. And then he put headphones on him and said, like, David's like, I'm done. I'm done. This isn't funny anymore. And Russ tells him to stop his belly aching and then puts the headphones on him. And it's playing this like creepy music and like creepy sounds of David talking to him. And like, they kind of move him around, but he's in this straight jacket and he can't see anything. So it's terrifying. And then David's like, I'm out. I am out. I am not doing this anymore. Uh, I can't. And they make you create this safe phrase, which is like a personalized couple of sentences to say like you're too weak or whatever so that you can quit. They take the tape off of his eyes and the thing out of his mouth and he's so shaken. You can tell like he's just on a different planet right now. He's super defensive He's saying, like, I don't know why people do this. And if you've seen the show, like, David Ferrier is an incredibly... I also am biased because I think he's so handsome. But he's, like, a super mild-mannered, like, chill dude. Like, it seems like he does the show Dark Tourist. It seems like nothing ruffles his feathers. But he was just shaken from this. Um, He was doing it with someone else at the time. And this person stayed in. They were still doing it. And... Russ throws that guy into a trunk of a car into the next round. Um, They, like, take you from barn to barn. He's dunked under ice-cold water for 30 seconds, um, but he's only able to hold his breath for 20 to 25 seconds, and he quits. They're trying to get him, keep holding him down for 30 seconds. Um, Afterwards, he said he wanted to do it for an adrenaline rush, but it was, like, just too much, and he couldn't do it. And Russ, the guy that runs it, just looked so 
freaking happy when like they both had to go out. It just, it was creepy. Um, so David does this like interview with Russ and he's like, what are you doing this for? Like, why are you doing this crazy thing for money? And Russ says, no, like the only money he's getting is $800 a month from his Navy retirement. And he actually doesn't charge people to do this. He just asks them to bring dog food for his five dogs. Or if he has enough, he donates it to a Greyhound rescue in the area, which I mean, that's kind of cool. Um, But he claims he doesn't like people telling him that he's a psychopath. He says to himself that he is a comedian and an entertainer. Uh, I feel like that's a bit of a stretch, seeing as he, like, tortures people, but whatever. Uh, He told the Washington Post that he has invested a million of his own dollars to set this up, the majority of which from his backyard, but he can throw people in a car and take them to different barns and houses that he rents, and it's a, a path that goes from Summertown, Tennessee, the two-hour drive south to Huntsville, Alabama, which is where I used to live. Um, and so if you survive, you go – not survive. Everyone lives. He's not killing anybody. But if you make it, you would make it to Alabama. Uh, go ahead. No, I, w- I was just going to ask. So – I, I thought that there were actually two locations. There was the Tennessee location, Alabama location, that they operated as two different haunts, but they're actually connected. They're connected. So it's a two-hour drive, and they say it can last up to 10 hours because if you make it, you start at his place in Summertown, and then you go to the next spot, and then you're there for like an hour, and then you go to the next spot, and then the next, and it, you end in Huntsville, Alabama if you make it. So that's a pretty good way to get a free ride to... Huntsville, Alabama, I suppose. If you're just like, I need a, I need to go home to visit family, but I don't want to spend the money on it, and I can take my time. Eight hours of it. Oh, and maybe torture along the say, way. I was going to say, have you heard anything that I've said? This place is disgusting. Yes, Britt, I heard <laughs> free ride to Alabama <laughs> from Tennessee. Okay, well, how about this? So, Grace was one of Russ's neighbors in San Diego. She is a professional risk manager, but she lost her job. And after hearing years of people going through the torture, she's like, you know what? I've lost my job. Why not, you know, new lease on life? I'm going to try it. So, she goes. She's waiting to get in. And as she's waiting, she changes her mind and starts to walk home. Carol, Russ's partner, got in her car, chased this woman down pulled her from the street into her car and forced her to go through it. They end up putting her in a coffin and close the lid. And they like shut her in there. They then reopen it. And when it opens on Haunters, the art of the scare, her face, she looks broken. Like she looks so ill and shaken. She gets out and she actually tries to steal an ax from one of the haunters to try to escape. It's like a prop axe. It wasn't real. But she really, truly was trying to kill them to get her out. Now, would you still take the free ride to Alabama? I mean, it's a free ride to Alabama. <laughs> if you really need to get to Huntsville. I mean, I but I have, I have questions and thoughts about this. But I, I want to get the rest of the details first. Yeah. Well, so... If you watch, I have watched 
I don't even know. I like my anxiety and depression is so triggered this week from watching these disgusting videos. But like they show people duct tape. They have the hunters come up and like spit blood in their face. If someone throws up, they like make them like eat it or touch it or whatever. There was a woman who went through and she realized the person going through it was her teacher and the haunter like put her face in the dog poop garbage in the backyard of this, these people's house. Like, why would you sign up for this? It's so gross. So Amy Milligan went through McCamey Manor when he first had it set up in San Diego. Her experience is online. It's disgusting. Do not watch it. Um, they show her face being completely duct taped. She claims she was then put in a giant freezer and employees waterboarded her while she was laying in it. Um, she cried and begged for them to stop. Russ claims this isn't true as there isn't any footage of it, but they have cameras up 24 seven and he releases what is put on their website and what's not. So I have to err on the side of Amy Milligan. I don't know. Um, but shockingly, he's never been sued. Uh, he's been giving many cease and desist orders, I'm sure, from mostly his neighbors. Um, he hasn't had any deaths, but he has had one heart attack on the premises. Um, and lawyers who have looked at the waiver say it probably wouldn't stand up in court because there's, like, a ton of typos and contradictions and stuff like that that if someone tried to sue him, they probably could. But no one ever has. And now there's a petition going around the internet um, trying to close down the site and close down his actions. But he's still doing it. So So the various things I, I was thinking about is, first off, and, and I was thinking about William Castle, who was the American film director, and he was, he was the, the guy that really traded in on the the notion of gimmicks and things like that to scare people when they were going into theaters but with this kind of thing first i mean so i've i've gone through nothing this extreme i've gone through some other somewhat supposedly extreme haunts or where they can touch you and i've been okay with it i have in in avoided the ones there are a couple in new york i won't say their names and i actually forget their names that's also why i won't say them (laughs) is that that maybe simulate sexual violence and Mm. things like that and and i have no interest in seeing that even if it is just part of a theatrical presentation but i guess my thought is okay let's as far as the the waiver so Sure. Okay, you're putting in the waiver that you might have your teeth pulled and fingernails pulled out, but are there any reported instances of this actually happening? Yep, yep. and I watched the video of someone being forced to pull his own tooth out of his head. Not forced to, chose to. I mean, chose to, but when you're in the state that they put you in to get into this house, it feels forced, man. These people are not operating in their right mind. And I still have questions about it, like as far as that teeth pulling incident. And again, I, I haven't seen that. Don't. That. Oh so, my God, it's but, so gross. 
I can't help but wonder if it is somewhat staged or if there's some bigger story no behind way. it. No way. This is not staged. But, if you watch these people, they truly look like broken humans in this footage. But if there was really enough legal basis for this... Because, okay, even if someone signs a waiver, you can't just kill them. So and you can't... And, and there are things that, even if it's a waiver, will violate state and federal laws... So, and the fact that he doesn't have, has not had real legal trouble yeah, no, associated nothing. with this, he's pretty, uh, I, I kind of wonder about some of it. And the other thing is let's talk about your, your TV crush, Farrier, David Farrier. First off. <laughs> he's so hot. Him compared to, to Stone Phillips. Who's Isn't Stone that Phillips? Your boy? Oh, not Stone Phillips. Who's the, the Keith crime Morrison. guy that you, Oh. Okay. Hot. I don't know. Stone Phillips and that guy operate, exist in the same space <laughs> in my brain. So between David and Keith, where does the crush lie? I have a huge amount of respect for Keith Morrison. Like, I think he is a true head of his craft. I would ra- I like old men, but I would rather go on a date with David Ferrier. But I actually don't think David Ferrier's straight. Well... I don't think David Ferrier... I don't know. You don't think he's handsome? Wait, I'm not even saying that. I'm I'm talking about the episode of Dark Tourist. Okay, so if something triggered some sort of anxiety with you, I guess I get it. But when you're filming a TV show, you have a camera crew there, and they're like, we could do anything. It's going to be so extreme, but we're also filming it for a TV show... I'm willing to bet that you can probably say to yourself, like, oh, okay, I can get through this for the production. He to... can't. He gets out in, like, 15 seconds. Okay. He can't do it. See, I, it, and I'm not saying that I'm some paradigm of, of fearlessness, because I'm not, but when I've gone through some of these things, again, nothing as extreme as McKamey Manor, I've thought, well, ultimately, they can't kill me. Ultimately, there are still legal restrictions, so... I'm probably going to be fine. Now, the dog poop thing, if that actually is happening, okay, sure, I would find that rather unpleasant. But, or if it was something involving cockroaches, I would opt out. But I also, that's not worth it for $20,000 Like the one bar we went to where a cockroach fell from the ceiling on you? Yes. And we will never mention that again because I've thus far successfully blocked it out. But, so... Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, though. I would never do this. I've never been to a haunted house, period. I would never, never. I'm so scared. Well, okay, then maybe don't start with McKamey Man. (laughs) (laughs) Work work your way up. (sighs) Start baby steps to McKamey Manor. I will never, no. Absolutely not. But, yeah, I I have heard of it. It's not really my thing. I'm not saying that I would enjoy doing has anybody actually gotten a tattoo not that i saw no okay you'll do anything for a free tattoo well (laughs) it's not that i'll do anything for a free tattoo it's that (laughs) i've just benefited from some getting some tattoos for free yeah but they're good tattoos and they're good tattoos yeah and i didn't have to do anything for them i mean the i mean i have a couple tattoos from oliver peck who is a world famous celebrity tattoo. Yeah. That that was did not take any convincing whatsoever. 
anyhow, shout out to Sailor Jerry Spiced Rum. Yeah, it's <laughs> Does not advertise on this podcast, but they have hooked me up with some good tattoos. They don't need to advertise. Their shit is so good. It, it, yeah, they do have good rum. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I give them a lot of free advertising anyhow. Anyhow. <laughs> on your body. So, give me a minute. On my body. <laughs> not my bottom. I thought you were going to say on my bottom. I do not have a bottom tattoo. Next. Your next one. If I no, if I got a tattoo on my butt, it would be Xavier Roberts, and I would laugh and laugh. Do you, uh, because I don't know. Do you get that joke? No. All right. So in the eighties, there were these things called Cabbage Patch Kids. Oh. And they were quite popular. My sister and had on, one. And on the butt of the Cabbage Patch Kid, there was stitched in Xavier Roberts. And Xavier Roberts was, I guess, like the creator of Cabbage Patch Kids. And so the gag there is that it would be like, ha, 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 I'm a Cabbage Patch Kid because I got Xavier Roberts tattooed on my butt. I wouldn't actually do this, people out there. But, you know, in my mind, it seemed like a funny. Yeah, that's funny. Funny joke. I like it. That only I and a couple people would appreciate. Yeah. Nightmerica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor, Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, Skunk is fine, just fine. That's, uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow, galon. We all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop, whoop! That's what, that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs. But not with this Lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquasticles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can... Fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no, no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology... It does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the Squatch Code. You gotta stay undercover, you know? I can even groom up my Squatchicles in the middle of the night. Because it's got an LED light on it. So you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. 
Some memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped Ball Deodorant to, to make the squashicle smell fresh as a daisy and the ball toner to freshen up when skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you flowers instead of skunky. Well, skunky, if you or your Squatch Buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped. No, no, it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped, the right tools for the job. So, well, <laughs> let's dive into my story from McKamey Manor to this tale. I'm going to quote a Vanity Fair article here. And in 1924, Harry Houdini visited a rambling architectural oddity in the heart of California's Silicon Valley. Though a magician by trade, Houdini was devoted at this time in his life to debunking what he considered a scourge of fake spiritualists and mediums. This massive estate, partially demolished by the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906, had a reputation for being haunted. And not even Houdini himself could shake the sense that something inside those walls was wrong. Mm. So, that Vanity Fair quote although I disagree with part of it, was about the Winchester Mystery House. Oh, yeah! The Winchester Mystery House. Houdini, according to legend, is what is who dubbed it that. Now, Houdini did have, during this time of the early 1900s, he did, well, until... Uh, uh, early, yeah, early 1900s, he did indeed pursue debunking spiritualists and mediums. But, so, that house is named after Sarah Winchester, and supposedly the secretive woman who lived inside it. And it is home to an annual haunted house attraction. Now, let's talk a little bit about Sarah Winchester. Well, on her own, she was an enormously accomplished woman. She spoke four languages, played three instruments, and also grew up with a lot of privilege. And she became more famous as the wife of William Winchester, an heiress to the Winchester Repeating Rifle Fortune, also known as the gun that won the West. And let me say, I've been to the Winchester Mystery House, and it's one of my favorite haunted locations, or supposedly haunted locations, and the history behind it, there's a lot of history and then a lot of legend. But what we do know is that after William's death in 1881, in Winchester's death in 1881, Sarah inherited about $20 million, which in 2020 dollars would be about more than $500 million. She also would inherit 50% of the Winchester Arms Company. So she had about an income of around $1,000 a day, which would be about $26,000 a day today. 
So she had some good dining out money. Yeah, right? My kind of woman. Yeah, my kind of woman. <laughs> and except she's dead and, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't really help me now. But anyhow, Sarah moved to San Jose in 1886, a couple of years after her husband died. Now, she moved there from New Haven, Connecticut. And she began building a house. And what started out as an eight-room cottage became a house whose rooms numbered 160. And actually, it was even larger before the 1906 earthquake. And why did she do this? Well, the story is such that Sarah Winchester moved out to San Jose from New Haven, Connecticut, because a medium told Sarah that she's being haunted by spirits of people killed by the Winchester gun, and that she would die. She would be haunted and then die unless she started building a house and never ceased construction. And according to legend, she did not cease construction for 38 years. Now, this medium told Sarah Winchester that the tragedies that she had experienced, the death of her husband, William, and, tragically, the death of their only child, Annie, who died, I believe, 10 years before Winchester, and I think she died at only six weeks old. This medium told her that there was blood on her hands. There was blood money from this Winchester family. And she must build a home for herself and for the spirits who have fallen from this terrible weapon. And as a result construction that never ceased for 38 years, again, according to legend, this house ended up being a bit of a labyrinth and a mystery and an oddity with trap doors, secret passages, a skylight in the floor, weird spiderweb windows, staircases that led to nowhere, maybe doors that would open up to walls. And in particular, everybody loves the door to nowhere, which is a door Mm -hmm. on the second floor of the house that opens out into nothing. Well, except for the two-story two drop to the ground below. And some say that this, this labyrinth was just because she had to keep building, and others say that actually this labyrinth, the layout, this, this maze-like layout, was meant to confuse the ghosts mm-hmm. and keep them inside the house. Have you been there? Have you been to the Winchester I haven't been there, but I really want to. I find her story so fascinating. And that's what I'd heard, that she was building it to confuse the ghosts. And it was the focus of a movie a couple years ago called Winchester. Yes. And it it was not a great movie. It's not a great movie. In my opinion. But it's on Netflix. Helen Mirren is in it, and she's great. And so she also, Sarah, also was said to hold occasional nighttime seances. And she had, whether you want to call it the blue room or the seance room, it is actually a pretty weird room. There's one entrance but three exits. There's a door that leads to a 10-foot drop in, into the kitchen and another door that opens up into a small sink. And... The story goes that she would hold these seances at night and in the morning deliver new building plans to her foreman. Now, as odd as this house was, it was also opulent. And construction at the time was estimated to be around $5 million, 
which is about $70 million in today's money. Insane. Which is a hell of a construction cost. And a, a fun tidbit that I don't know if this is legend or if this is fact, but she did have distinct tastes, and it is said that she demanded the house be ex- built exclusively out of redwood, but ended up not liking the look of the wood, so then said it had to be covered with a stain and a faux grain, and by the time it was completed, more than 20,000 gallons of paint had been used to cover up this gorgeous wood. Oh my god. And isn't it, like, that, almost extinct wood? Like, isn't yeah, it Yeah, but it was back in the day. Okay. She, you know, you didn't have to care about the earth back then. Nope. Chop, chop it down. We'll make more redwood. Anyhow, the home boasts 950 doors, 10,000 windows, 40 stairways, 52 skylights, 47 fireplaces, six kitchens, three elevators, and there were also some pretty groundbreaking elements at the time, like wool wool insulation, carbide gas lights. She had electricity, an indoor shower. She had a sewage drainage system. And those three elevators were pretty high-tech, and the heating system in the house is pretty high-tech. And she also had a communication system within the house. And that, so she had some pretty uh, – the story. some of the reports say that she was pretty fascinated with technology, which was not considered to be the domain of women at the time. It was sort of looked down upon to have that kind of fascination. But she was. She – also, and this has been associated to the ghosts but or to the paranormal element, but she did have narrow stairs mm-hmm. that would, they were kind of switchback stairs and pretty low rise narrow stairs. But something to remember about her is she was only about four feet, 10 inches and had pretty bad arthritis. So some of that construction may have been just to be helpful for her to be practical so she didn't have to take large steps and instead there were these smaller steps that would switch back make it easier for her to get around Mm -hmm. she after her husband's death it is said that she would she was an eccentric some people thought she was crazy that she would dress only in black dresses even under that that oppressive california sun and that she went into mourning for the rest of her life. And actually, Helen Mirren, who was in the movie Winchester, saw a parallel between that and Queen Victoria, who when oh. she lost her husband, that's what she would do. And and Mirren said it was kind of a Victorian thing to do, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And, and that Mirren even viewed... Now, Mirren is not a historian. She's an actor that played Winchester, but she viewed, tapping into that character, that that's, that fascination with spiritualism was a byproduct of that grief, that when you lose someone, it can be so bearable, so difficult, that the only way you can deal with that grief is by feeling they are with you in some way or another. Now, that's a very honest and apt, astute view of believing in ghosts, believing in, in the spiritualist movement. Although there were enough people that disputed that. Now, I'll get back to that, but September 5th, 1922, which again was still when spiritualism was going strong. It was sort of waning a little bit at this point. But she died of heart failure in her sleep at 82 years old. So if the ghosts were haunting her, 
and they were kept within those walls. Apparently, whatever she was doing was working out well yeah. to die at 82 years old, especially in 1922. For sure. And it is said that upon hearing the news of Sarah's death, the carpenters quit so abruptly they left half-hammered nails protruding from walls. Now, five months later, after her death, the Brown family, who were longtime carnival workers, ended up renting the house, and they held a public tour of the house because even during her day, the Winchester House, and then the Winchester Mystery House, as it came to be known, was a spectacle, and they held a public tour, and they basically kept on kept with that until they were able to buy the property, and now it is a major tourist attraction some 100 years after her death. Now, why did she do this? Okay, so you can believe the spiritualist ghost element to it. Psychology Today actually posited that perhaps this is a story of what happens when delusional people have the resources to fully act on their bizarre notions. Hmm. Could indeed be a result of crippling grief and some mental illness. There's an author by the name of Mary Jo Ignolfo, who wrote a book called Captive of the Labyrinth, and she disputes multiple legends associated with the Winchester Mystery House, and she even says that construction didn't last day or night for 38 years, that she Apparently, she found letters from Sarah Winchester explaining that she would send workers away for months at a time. And if Sarah Winchester did have a problem with where her money came from, from the Winchester rifle, then it's interesting that she would have a shooting gallery in the attic of her own house. Mm. So tourists could use it when they visited the house. And she did also invest and spend the money that she made from those guns. I recall one story about Sarah Winchester also being a philanthropist and donating a lot of money to disadvantaged children and giving back to the community. Yeah, I heard that too. And so Ignofo, who wrote the book Captive of the Labyrinth, or Ignofo, said that maybe some of these odd designs within the house have more of a natural explanation. Well, I mentioned the 1906 earthquake. The house used to be seven stories tall. So Agnofo says that her research uncount, in, uncovered that the fact that there were massive, massive damage to the house, Sarah basically never fully repaired some of the damage from that earthquake. And so these store, stairs and doors that led to nowhere were merely damage that had been sealed off or where landings had fallen away. And she even says that after the earthquake, she moved to another house. And I've read accounts that she spent a lot of time in her in her houseboat after after the earthquake, mm. but basically just didn't do want to do the repairs, and it had nothing to do with spirits. I think part of that is interesting, but there are some architectural oddities within that house that seem to be more than a result of the earthquake. Yeah. Another another theory and is that there was actually that Sarah was a mason and that she designed this house not as a house for ghosts, but instead as a mountain of clues, of hard evidence that would be an elaborate puzzle, a treasure trail that would lead adventurers 
to the inner recesses of her brilliant mind. Oh. And that comes, which is kind of an interesting twist. There's yeah. a website called The Truth About the Winchester Mystery House. And they go into detail about Sarah Winchester strongly identified with Francis Bacon, who was a genius in of himself, and that she she related to him, but maybe even saw herself as a reincarnation of Bacon. Now, this is their speculation, but it's an interesting speculation. And indeed, there are these symbols that are associated with Francis Bacon in the house and mm. this supposed numeric cipher code that's displayed throughout the ballroom especially in the quote-unquote Shakespearean window and yeah so they viewed this as like a treasure map of sorts that the odd construction of the house is a treasure map of sorts that's fascinating I never heard that before it's a pretty cool theory yeah and look, when you when you deal with something that's a beloved legend like this, you're going to have a lot of theories. There's even one, io9, a website that I've written for before. Anna Lee Newitz posited that maybe she said that Winchester was only a partial heir to the company, to the Winchester Rifle Company. And the company president was her brother-in-law and that he tried to push her out of company decisions. And so when she headed west, they were basically trying to continue the successes of the company. And maybe the construction was just sort of this giant FU to the Winchester repeating arms company that maybe by building on the house she was on some level throwing away the family fortune instead of pouring profits back into the company maybe she funneled them into the house as a way to give sort of a financial middle finger from across the country i kind of like that yeah, too yeah i like that i respect that yeah as far as the séance component to it whether or not she would hold these nightly séances Okay, well, there is this room called the Witch's Cap, and that's that's an area where some of these seances were also supposedly happening. But seances during this time were also these fairly social affairs. During during spiritualism, you would gather people together. You would have it would be like a, a dinner party. You would have a seance. So her having a seance in private. Not to say that it would not have happened, but it seems like it would have maybe taken place in a parlor room as opposed to in in private. And these ideas of the seance room were not mentioned until well after her death. So let's talk about some of the ghosts that are supposedly haunting the Winchester Mystery House. Now, I've been through this house. I've been through this house at night. I personally have not encountered ghosts, but I do think it's an amazing house. And people claim that they see a dark-haired man that pushes a wheelbarrow through halls and that he stops to repair things. And this is also known as Clyde the Wheelbarrow Ghost. Wheelbarrow? Wheelbarrow. Yeah, you say that very interesting. Wheelbarrow. Wheel, wheelbarrow. Say that again? Wheelbarrow. Wheelbarrow? Wheelbarrow. And I say, 
I say wheelbarrow. Yeah, you do. Your real southern comes out. Wheelbarrow. Well, <laughs> whether it's wheelbarrow or wheelbarrow. Anyhow, Clyde, the wheelbarrow ghost, is supposedly a gentle guy. And there's also an area called Steam Alley. And I believe it's sort of, I don't know if it's the basement, but it's a lower floor. And has this wheelbarrow full of coal and goes to the boiler and back and forth. And if he makes eye contact with you, he just gives you a nod and then goes about his business. Or maybe he hangs out leaning up against a wall. And other people say that they've been touched or shoved by invisible hands. Classic paranormal activity reporting. One person says that this was a tour guide. So tour guides are kind of known at times to elaborate and perhaps they, they embellish. But said that they saw Sarah Winchester and that she seemed annoyed by the group of people taking a tour in her bedroom. And there's also in that witch's cap that's in the south turret. Turret? Turret? Turret. Am I saying all the weird You the are words saying weird everything today? weird today. I would say turret. Turret. Well, anyhow, in the turret, guides claim that that is where Harry Houdini w- was said to hold his seance and that maybe you'll feel a tap or an embrace from someone from behind and that maybe they'll even try to get you to dance. Hmm. Whatever is happening at the Winchester Mystery House, there is indeed, the mystery continues to unfold because even in 2016 and in 2017, new rooms are being discovered within this house. Whoa. There was an attic that had been boarded up after the earthquake, and... One of the legends associated with it is that Sarah believed the earthquake was caused by angry spirits, so she sealed them away. Hmm. Whatever the reason, the room ended up being a bit of a time capsule because there was an organ, a couch, these dress forms, sewing machine, paintings, all these things found within. That's cool. And now, even during these weird times of the pandemic... As I said, they normally do have these haunted tours, and you can go through and have this sort of a... It's not a full-blown haunted house, but there's these spooky elements, and maybe someone will jump out at you as you take a tour guided by flashlight through the Winchester Mystery House. Well, now, in 2020, things are a little bit different because the flashlight tour is a self-guided tour, and so you can go through on your own and get a glimpse of the haunted mansion at night which i do have to say that even though i did not encounter any paranormal activity walking through alone at night would be rather creepy and exciting and yeah that and i i guess another little piece of trivia for this is that some people say that walt disney based the haunted mansion on the winchester mystery house that's not exactly uh-oh. Accurate, especially because the Winch- uh, Haunted Mansion was not completed and opened until after Walt's death. But some of the what we know now as Imagineers did apparently, I think Raleigh Crump, who was one of them, he may have been the person that took a tour of the Winchester Mystery House. And you do see the influence yeah. in the, the completed attraction 
at Disneyland and Magic Kingdom, you do see some of that that inspiration there. But there was also other houses that were that were part of the the inspiration of the multiple houses I think like four that were part of the inspiration of the Haunted Mansion. But for me personally, it's one of those places that I learned about early on mm-hmm. as a kid in my fascination and, and reading of the paranormal and it was on my paranormal bucket list for a good long while and I was quite excited when I, I finally went there and it holds up even though even though maybe the stories there's legend and fact and those perhaps intertwine and obfuscate one another it's still a location that I that I quite like yeah I think so, it's so fascinating I want to go really bad I would highly recommend it. And it's a good reason to go out to the Bay Area yeah. anyhow in in 20 Oh, and and uh, 20 2023. 20 Gosh, hopefully not that long. No. I will one other thing is there's a lot of people talk about Winchester's fascination with the number 13. It should be noted that some of the things that are grouped in th- uh numbers of 13 like hooks coat hooks coat racks or whatever that some of that was put up after her death Mm -hmm. and in fairly recent years and some of it actually was part of the house during her time so whether it's whether it's her fascination or whether it's kind of forcing the legend a little bit it might be a little bit of both there so yeah it's a gorgeous house yeah cool do you know what the other houses are that they use as inspiration for the mansion. Am I putting you on the spot? Are they like a famous or just? Yeah, there's there's the Packer Museum, I believe, in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. And normally I could rattle these off a little bit faster, but I know that one. And now my brain is flaking on the others. But I will say. There is a great book by Jason Sorrell. Actually, to to kind of, I guess, plug plug some of my, my own stuff. The I did a live stream with Den of Geek on with Den of Geek uh, with Jason Sorrell, the author of the book about the haunted mansion, and we talk about that, and that's available on the Den of Geek YouTube site. You could go check it out. So we go into a lot of into depth about the inspirations of the haunted mansion but yeah i i remember the there was like the shipley lidecker house there was the packer museum and there were a couple other ones that i'm now forgetting right now but yeah i would cool. say so maybe you're putting me on the spot that's okay spot. though that's okay it's i'm it's totally allowed like i'm a little disappointed that i'm forgetting some of them i know normally but. you can just like Boom, 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 but... Well, you know. Maybe I'm tired. Yeah. But not tired of this episode of real-life haunted houses and haunted attractions within them. But before we get out of here, let's talk some paranormal pop culture. What are you into this week? I'm so thrilled because Full Body Chills podcast is back. Um... Ashley Flowers, who hosts Crime Junkie during, like, the weeks leading up to Halloween, does these, like, 
15 minute like spooky story readings um she did it for the first time i think last year and she's done it back this year i highly recommend starting with episode one called us it starts a little slow but then like bam hits you you're in it it makes you like scared to be alone in your apartment or house or houseboat if you're sarah winchester sarah winchester doesn't she do does maybe i'm getting the name wrong but does ashley flowers also do the she does supernatural as well yes. right supernatural yes. with ashley flowers correct see we need to expand we we've only got one podcast and she's got three um she has three i also think she produces counterclock and maybe like one other one i know right we're such slackers I know. Only one one weekly podcast. And I am I struggle to research this. <laughs> well, you know, it's a putting together a good story does take a It takes a, a lot, lot of time. time. Yeah. What's your pop culture? That's not a thing. <laughs> I knew you were gonna hate that. <laughs> I don't understand why we have to abbreviate. I love abbreviating random everything. Words. It's like that extra syllable was taking so much time to say it was but now you've expended more syllables because i have ridiculed your (laughs) abbreviation and you've now had to defend it so and we've spent precious time me being offended by pop culture (gasps) i will not use it ever pop culture my paranormal pop culture pick the week it's not that hard to say either (gasps) i'm going with a book that came out last month called Cursed Objects, Strange But True Stories of the World's Most Cursed Items, I believe. Mm. Actually, I forgot. It's a long title. World's Most Infamous Items. What are some of the <laughs> they items? Should have, they should have abbreviated should have. the title. Just Cursed. Cursed Obj. Cursed Obj. And so the book is by J.W. Ocker. He's a guy that I've kind of kept track of for a while through his website and just his social media accounts. He does he talks about Annabelle the doll from mm-hmm. The Conjuring. And but more than that, he talks about things like a a it's called the Ring of Sylvanius, which is a Roman artifact that is said to inspire Tolkien's The Hobbit. He talks about a mummy that was supposed that was rumored to have sunk the Titanic and mm. kickstarted World War One. Whoa! He goes into some haunted chests, as in trunks, not like not <laughs> I bosoms. Was ask. He talks about Robert the Doll, yeah, which I know and love. So there's a couple good good objects in there. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's multiple good objects in there. I haven't read all of them. But Are they good, though? That's the question. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, he... Are they dangerous objects? Oh. Are they good or are they bad? They, well, I think, you know, if you're sinking the Titanic, yeah, you're, you're not really a nice guy. Yeah. But, yeah, he, his writing, I think I first discovered it in the Boston Globe, but he also does a blog called... Otis, Oddest Things I've Seen, and I would recommend that. And he's done a couple other books, but he's just like a, a guy that researches the weird, so I uh, I quite like him. I, I, I view 
him as a, uh, a cohort to what we're doing here in Nightmarica. Yeah, that's so, cool. I'm going to check him out. Yeah, please do. And aside from that, I feel like I had another thing to talk about, but now I forget. I will say you should turn up for the I'm doing this weekly talk mm-hmm. on Wednesday, October 7th, but it'll still be live on the internet, again on Den of Geek, but we're talking about folklore and the sociology of fear. I saw that with, with the woman that also is on um, Paranormal, Paranormal Caught on Camera. On camera. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. Lynn S. McNeil and Dr. Margie Kerr. Margie is an old buddy of mine, and she's a fear sociologist. Oh, so she wrote that book. Lynn, yeah, Lynn is a folklorist, cool. and Margie is a sociologist, but the connection there is that I will even bring this up about the pursuit of these extreme haunts like McKamey Manor and what people get out of it. And when is, when it does it go too far? Cause going to a haunted house is a healthy thing. You know, it is a, it is a way of, of, of sort of safely experiencing fear. It's cathartic. But pulling but out your become, teeth ain't cathartic. Yeah, that does not seem cathartic. So when does it go too far? When does the fear response move from a safe experience, like a roller coaster also, to an unsafe, anxiety-inducing, and even harmful, physiologically harmful experience? Because, because a prolonged fear response can be damaging yeah. to you. I'm so going to tune that's, in. That's something that I think we'll talk about, yeah. and you know, we'll talk about we'll we'll plug Nightmarica on that too. What time? So. That would be five p.m. Eastern Standard Time. However, if you miss it, it will continue to live on the Dent of Geek YouTube page and Facebook platforms. Awesome! I'll watch it after work. All right. Well, that's our another kind of Halloween themed episode, and we'll see you back next week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.